0: Hi, and welcome back to the Life in Bomb City podcast. I'm Aaron Favor.
1: And I'm Dr. Beth Rodriguez.
0: And we're here recording live here in the Panhandle PBS FM 90 studios on the Emerald College campus. Always invading their space, at least trying to on a Friday morning. (laughs) We certainly have a lot to talk about today. Uh, We both work in the Social and Behavioral Sciences Department. Uh, I should say that we don't speak for the Social and Behavioral Sciences Department. Right. But... We work in that office. So uh, absolutely love to do that, by the way, yes, of our we colleagues.
1: Do. Okay, today we're going to talk a little bit about what we, um, it was brought to our attention and we forgot, kind of, which is kind of a funny situation, that this was part of an everyday situation. I said situation 10 times, but it is a situation. Um, we're going to talk about campus carry. And um, a lot of people don't even know. Or are terrified about this whole um, idea. And um, we're going to talk about like our feelings about how it's kind of like a non-issue with mm-hmm. us. Sure. But um, it was brought to our attention because we have, um, both Aaron and I were lucky enough to be part of another, I would say colleague now, um, his dissertation, but he's in Illinois and um he brought up the idea of talking about sensitive subjects which Aaron and I do in our classes um and the idea that students are now allowed to carry on campus and i what was really shocking to me was like whoa you know what i have never even thought about that so he did bring up something that i have hadn't even thought about so the first thing that we want to do is kind of talk about um what I guess the rules are for here on our campus. Aaron, do you have that on there? What is expected from us?
0: I sure do, yes. Um, So right here, the procedures and responsibilities um, is that uh, our college president uh, established this rule consulting with Amarillo College students, staff, and faculty about the nature of the student population specifically safety considerations and the uniqueness of the campus environment. The Board of Regents, as required by law, reviewed those rules. Um, and then a handgun license holder under Chapter 411, Texas government code may carry a concealed handgun on or about the license, holder, license holder's person while the license holder is on campus of Amarillo College or in any Amarillo College vehicle unless prohibited by state or federal law or this rule. And, we're, of course, we're in Texas. so um, The open carrying of a handgun on campus is prohibited. So not open carry, it's concealed carry. Licensed peace officers are, unauthor- are authorized by law to carry firearms at all times, of course. Um, and then we enforce that state law regulating firearms on campus. The enforcement occurs in two ways, and I think that I've gone probably a little bit too far here, but that's okay. Um, I, think that, I think that's kind of the point is, establishes that there is, in fact, a uh, procedure and a policy and that the that the, the end of it is that uh, we have state law, federal law, and then we have the institutional law. Mm-hmm. So state law would say that a license holder is responsible for complying with the applicable state law prohibitions. And then the federal law is that a license holder is responsible for complying with the applicable federal law pro- prohibitions. What those prohibitions are are not necessarily... What we're going to be discussing today, uh, it is part of our conversation. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the other prohibited campus things, and and we could talk about those in, in more detail. But really, because we're classroom teachers, we uh, we interface uh, with our colleague in Illinois um, yeah. in this way, and um, it's just a different culture.
1: Yeah. Um. So I, one of the things I was on the board that was really kind of trying to come up with the you know specific rules for our campus for campus carry and um I you know at the time I was shocked that they asked me but I was really glad because um the more we talked about it and people kept adding more and more and more places and I really had to stop everybody and say wait a minute you know, the more places that we're not allowed to carry, the less places that we're going to have people who carry. <laughs> now, and I said, now, I, most people see that as, yes, it's exactly what we want to do. And I was like, but wait a minute. What happens here is if we have those laws, we have law-abiding citizens who will um, respect those rules. But those, are, those law-abiding citizens are usually not the ones who are doing the school shootings, So what would happen is the more and more laws that we kept putting in place, the less and less places people who have their license to carry will have a gun. And I know this is kind of probably controversial some some people, but the truth is, is the people who break the law don't care about the laws. So um, we should actually make it less restrictive of the places where you can actually carry. And Um, I was all about... um, Some of the places that we said, of course, are um, the kids, where the kids are. Mm -hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, um, not that no no one needs to protect the kids. Kids
0: kids would be people uh, 18 and under. Yes. So, I
1: mean, like, kid kids, too, is what we have.
0: Sometimes I call kids. I call everybody kids, kids,
1: yeah. um, But, like, at the daycares, we have two different daycares that are considered, you know, AC campuses... Um, one is on the uh, West Campus, and the other one is at Medi Park. And so those are two places that you're not allowed to carry. And then, of course, any of the, um, like, gymnastics places where they have dance and gymnastics and stuff with lots of kids. Um, and then of course, they did say the Carter Fitness Center. And I think one of that one is not necessarily – I just don't – people are not caring while they're working out, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a – a, that would be a stretch. That would be hard, actually. It
0: would be very difficult. I know some people that probably pull it off, and I'm sure yeah, you do too. do too. But, uh But, yeah, I mean, depending on it's, the day, figure out, you know.
1: And then, but if so, if they're not, if they bring it to Carter Fitness, they would it's, have to put it in a locker, which then would allow someone to go, you know, and it's kind of like, okay, so let's just not bring it there, right? right? Because there's a lot of logistics. And that's kind of what um, we came down to, is like, let's think of the places that would be, you know, we—I wouldn't want there to be a gun there, and—and um, and that's kind of what we went with. It was a—it was a huge list. We made it smaller because that's kind of what happened: is the people who are going to follow the laws are not the people who are going to be breaking them, anyways. Does that make sense? So it didn't it make sense make to sense. have all those laws.
0: No, it does make sense. Of course, that—we—it breaks down into into the different type of criminal activity uh, that might be involved. Uh, violent crimes, as to whether or not somebody. You know, we get into all the logistics and the, the details of what motive is and mm-hmm. whether people, you know. But I think what, what Beth is, uh, is pointing out is that when, when folks tend to go out and, and commit violent criminal acts on campuses, they're normally breaking the law before they even step onto that campus because they're in violation of some type of a gun ownership law. Um, or prohibition that has been established by the state or the federal government Um, in the purchasing or normally uh, it's a theft of some sort. Uh, And there's also uh, very regularly some other type of criminal activity that's happened prior to that campus event. And of course, this is very sensitive stuff. We're very sensitive to the fact that it's sensitive. And when we talk about it in our in our classes. Uh, we do so with great reverence for for life and dignity of of, of life. Uh, but by the same token, we also uh, want to emphasize the dignity of the individual, mm-hmm. which is some, yeah, it's a fundamental tenet of American uh, republicanism. And I don't say republicanism is the party, but republicanism, the principle, right? So. Republicanism, uh, underlying tenets of our constitution are individual liberty and dignity. So if you're going to respect the dignity of a human life and respect the liberty of a human life, then these things can get rather complex. Uh, very quickly as all of our topics do, by the way,
1: they do, but that's what makes it good is that I think that, um, you know, these are things that we need to talk about and it's not, and I don't know that it needs to be either or right. on a lot of these issues, I think that, you know, we just need to understand both sides. And I think that's really where it's coming from. It's like, um, we do, there's a lot of people who are, you know, want to make more gun laws and I'm, and I understand, I mean. When I see school shootings it terrifies me. Right? You send your kids to school, you go you drop them off at school and like sometimes you have a little anxiety because they're not in the building yet. They get in the building and you're like, oh, they're safe." Okay, but then when we start to see all these school shootings, do you really feel like they're safe there? And I think, you know, that's where we see you know, people are like, oh, we need more guns. We need less guns. We need less, more rules, more laws, more everything so we can keep people safe. And um, I think it gets to the point where if we have so much that, you know, so many laws, so much that we're taking away from people, it actually leaves people more vulnerable than safe. And it's... our kids are already vulnerable if you look at it. And you know it just it's a it's it's a double edged sword right i definitely Certainly. want the campuses to be safe like that is terrifying school
0: i think that one of the one of the big things that uh, people want to know is do you feel unsafe or do you feel uh, threatened in any way if you know that students can carry a firearm on campus, in a concealed manner, which is the legal way to carry on our campus.
1: Mm-hmm. I know, <laughs> and um, I don't. I actually um, that colleague of ours. I don't know if I can. Can we say his name? I don't know.
0: I don't know. I'm, we didn't I, ask I'm him. I'm not. I'm not because I didn't ask him.
1: Yeah, we didn't ask him. But um, he, he actually asked this question um, because we're going to be back, person, you know, face to face, starting in the fall. And he asked, "Are you more scared of COVID?" Or Campus Carry, and I kind of, you know, looked like, and I said neither, and he was floored. I'm not. I don't know. And the fact that I have students in the class that have, you know, can conceal carry, um, I don't really think about it. So I guess it's not something that makes me nervous that I'm worried about.
0: Right, and one of the one of the biggest issues that uh, he seems to be bringing up and uh, is something that I think a lot of folks uh, are concerned about, is whether or not, you know, for example, last, uh, couple, last episode we visited a little bit about anti-racism. Mm-hmm. We visited about it in a lot of different ways. I hope that we were able to uh, respectfully diagnose the, the different positions on it. Of course, that's a fairly superficial argument uh, when we really start getting into uh, visiting with people that, you know, have... Their, you know, they spent their life studying this stuff. But at the same time, we're doing the same thing with this issue, mm-hmm. right? So looking, having students for eight weeks at a time in class, even if we meet four days a week, we know relatively little about them. Mm-hmm. When they walk in, we get to know them. This is our first interaction unless we know them outside of class uh, or we had them in a previous class, which is not... Uh, uncommon, but it's also uh, regular for me to not know anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, we do all kinds of things, and eventually, I start to get to get an idea of their personalities, and you know, things like that establish a baseline. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, the idea doesn't not cross my mind. In fact, when uh, when that question got asked, I I was kind of jarred a little bit because I didn't. It's not something that I I really think about at all.
1: Yeah. Me neither. And I mean, I'm not, I think that, um, you know, with people who have concealed, I, I'm assuming if it's concealed and they're doing everything they're supposed to, then they aren't a threat to me. Um, I think that the reason why it's not is because we do establish uh, a kind of a safe environment, respect, agree to disagree on the very first day. I mean, that is part of my syllabus is I, you know, I say, listen, we are, you know, we're going to we're going to talk about things that people have very strong opinions about. It's psychology. It's personal. Okay, and so when we do that, I need everybody to respect everybody else. And I think that establishing that kind of environment where, yeah, we're going to disagree, it's not You know, that's not something that you I'm not saying you can't be emotional and you can't have your passion about it. But at the same time, you have to respect the other person. And I think that just establishing that idea in the very beginning doesn't really I mean, I'm sure people still get an argument sometimes, but it it kind of sets the base like, okay, you know what? Like you're you can't throw a fit. And that's what I would see as if somebody decided, oh, we're talking about something sensitive, um, and I got mad, so I'm going to use my gun. And I don't, like, that's not, I respect my students enough, and I think they respect me enough that they understand that that's kind of the environment we're setting. And I don't, I just don't see it happening in the classroom. And I, I don't know if that's naive or if that is just because I assume that these people are you know, they're responsible, they're respectful, and they're adult enough to understand that this argument is not worth taking someone's life.
0: Right. I remember visiting uh, the the Northeast uh, coast, and I remember having getting into a conversation with someone about um, gun control. Specifically, uh, it was Boston. He wanted to know uh, and I mean, I'm not me to try to do the, the accent, but he certainly <laughs> said, uh, and he grew up in Boston, understand, you know, he grew up in downtown Boston, he was a cosmopolitan, you know, personality, spent his entire life there. Uh, and this is a place where even the nomenclature is different that they use to express, you know, firearms and Second Amendment issues. So one of the things that he, he asked me was, what's the deal? I told him I was from Texas, and he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, what's the deal with you guys and guns? Mm-hmm. You know, is that, that mindset right there, what's the deal with you guys and guns? That kind of shows a cultural rift or a chasm in between in our not only political discourse but our political culture and our personal life culture. In in Texas, in the Panhandle, uh, particularly because of the wide open spaces, the relatively n- new time that we've been on the uh, not a frontier uh, community. Some people would still say we're a frontier community, really? myself being one of them, huh. by the way. Uh, but uh, it's just kind of our mindset. Yeah. You know, uh, and that has to do with um, I'm not looking for I, I want to I, I respect, I love police officers. I'm so glad they're here. I believe that they're here to protect people. I believe that they're here to uh, establish a baseline for uh, walking the boundaries. And that thin blue line that we talk about is is very real. Mm-hmm. And that uh, they serve the, the absolute interest of the community. But... Oftentimes when I get into a conversation with a police officer about this topic, they'll say that they support and hope that the individual that is having to deal with a violent confrontation there at their home or anywhere else where they may have to defend their lives or someone else's lives, our families, Mm -hmm. they hope they have a firearm. They want them to have the tools that they need there so that knowing that they're, the chances they're going to get there and the likelihood they're going to get there prior to something happening, and, of course, every situation is different sure. and not you know putting anything, is, I mean, even in the event that it's a distant possibility, they still want them to have the tools because life is life. The dignity of that human individual and their individual life and their personal liberty isn't worth waiting three minutes or two minutes Or one minute, or even thirty seconds, when they need to have it in a split second,
1: right? Um, So we had this conversation in our (laughs) offices the other day, but I I actually had a cop friend. um, He's not from here, which is really funny that I am saying this now. But he is he moved here, and um, when we were talking about this, he said, "I would rather you talking to me have your son's baseball bat, and you know, because you are more likely going to hit." the person with the baseball bat, then you are going to shoot them because, you know, you're not trained. You're not practiced. You're not, you know, so you would probably freeze. But as soon as you pull your gun, if this person is there to do harm, they're not going to freeze. You know, but if you have a bat, you're more likely going to hit because it's not like, because, you know, I understand the idea. Like if I shoot this person, they're going to die. And that is, that's a intense idea. Now, if I had been practicing and I did this over and over, maybe, and of course I want to, you know, protect my kids, but he was saying, just because you don't do this on a regular basis, I would not want you to hesitate. I'd rather you get that bat and sneak up behind him and hit him in the head. Right. And, um, and then we were talking and, you know, of course, as soon as I said that, everybody's like, nope, that's too close. If you can hit him with a bat, that person with the guns too close. And that does play a huge part too. And I mean, it's just it's it's a situation. Um, it's you know, if you're in it, it's terrifying. But if you had the possibility of protecting your family, then that makes sense. Okay, even here on campus, right? Um, we had an actor sh- active shooter training because you know all of the different um, shooters on campus, and when we had it, you know, it the
0: types of shooters, yeah. Uh, that-
1: Exactly, and we had um, the the training, and as soon as we had it, you know, it was like, oh, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? What are you going to do if it happens? And you know, just instinct. um, I would, you know, the first thing they always say is to run, get out. If you are in a clear, you get out. Okay, but if you're not, and they're in your building, then you be ready to fight.
0: Mm -hmm. And I believe that the. The, the phrase is run hide fight uh, sometimes that's just uh, it's a direct line to fight uh, depending on where people are in the building you know if you can hear things I mean this is by the way I got to tell y'all I've I have a I have a, a an absolute I mean I know it's absolutely necessary for us to think about this. You know, and to kind of imagine what we would do, what would you do in this situation? It's important to be thinking about that stuff because I guess it plays an important role psychologically Mm -hmm. to be prepared for events. It doesn't do any good to just sit around and 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 just say, "Well, if we could just do this," and it was a complaint about policy, you know. But in our own minds, in our own constitutions, we have to have a standard of preparation as well, a policy in place that we can go to when we are. having some type of a threat that way we can be evaluating our decisions based on something we've already thought about a little bit. Uh, and of course in real life, it, um, I'm, I i can not imagine how scary that would actually be in, um, in a, in a real situation,
1: but, but you can, it, I, uh, you, you, you were can. there, you were in something, weren't you? I was in a, yeah, we were, we had a,
0: we had somewhat of a, a real, real type of situation, um, in, uh, in my previous job, and it was one of the it was one of those that uh, felt real. It was as real as it could possibly get. It turned out um, to not uh, be as threatening as we thought. But it was an it was a it was a situation where we didn't really feel like we were training. In the moment, uh, we didn't find out until much 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 later that uh, that the uh, the threat wasn't uh, wasn't what we thought it was, and. That went from the top down Mm -hmm. so we were ready yeah I I mean we were ready and my my students were ready and the we had broken down our students into those that wanted to wanted to uh, hide and wanted to fight and you know, it was, once again, a nightmare scenario yeah. when you're responsible for the lives exactly. of all these people that have no way of defending themselves outside of um, their hands mm-hmm. and, you know, any tool that they might have. Yeah, and it gets more and more gruesome, after, you know, when you start thinking about it in those terms. But in some ways, our culture prepares them for that. Mm-hmm. And it's that's uh, probably under fire to some degree. Sure. Um, like shows like The Walking Dead. Uh, by the way now I've done a dated show yeah (laughs) another thing to date me right Uh, (laughs) um, gonna be 41 in August uh, but I don't want to talk about uh, mine man it's Um, okay it's a level
1: who weren't okay what's the oh gosh I can't think of it now where the guys were were they in Paris Mm -hmm. and they saved everybody where are they from
0: Oh, are you talking about? Wait, are you talking about the airplane? Or are you no, talking I'm talking about,
1: about the, like the subway train or whatever they were on. Oh man! Oh,
0: I remember what you're talking about. Yes, was that, was that Paris? Was it? I, can't I know what you're now. talking about.
1: Um, where they saw it, it and immediately did something yes. about it.
0: they just confronted it. Where well, they they weren't they weren't had they didn't happen to be U.S. Marines, did they? Hmm. I believe so. It doesn't surprise me at all. Not one single bit. Mm-mm. If they happen to be United States Marine Corps.
1: And I can't, I have to look because I need to know. But okay. um, we can keep talking and then I'll fill you in okay. when I yeah, get Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great.
0: <laughs> so the big, the court debate tends to go on in, in a multitude of ways. This is no simple thing. And of course, among judges and judicial uh, philosophies, it's no, no simple thing either. Um, It seems to gravitate towards similar grounds as what we were talking about when we talked about anti-racism, which is an individual versus a collective. Uh, So when we talked about defining racism in our space, uh, whether or not somebody is looking at racism as something that's done individually or whether it's done at a societal level uh, is something that also people talk about when they talk about the Second Amendment. Is this an individual right? The Second Amendment reads a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And the question is, does it apply to a, does it apply to a group of people or does it apply
1: to one person
0: to keep and bear arms? Beth, did you find
1: it? I did. Okay. So it is, um, of course it doesn't say what, but it's 1517 to Paris. And um, there was, uh, which is so funny. It's Anthony Sadler was one of them. That's cool. my maiden name, and that? it's my sister's name. Is Anthony, but she was, spells it with an I. Yeah. Um, Doctor
0: Sadler from Jurassic Park.
1: Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I know. said, that's, "Hey, that's me," and that's why I got my doctorate. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it was. It doesn't. It was done by Clint Eastwood, though. Three American Heroes is what it was, and I'm trying to. I, for some reason, I think that they may be from texas hmm. and i can't i um, have to i need to know just because it right to you know to kind of play into what we're talking about no
0: it's important to understand i think the maybe the culture that people come from dictates their behavior yeah. in those types of situations it's what they have to fall back on it's what they're used to and so if you're used to seeing people with guns all the time and you see somebody in a threatened position it's different and seeing someone just with a gun on their, on their, in their holster. Or right. Or concealed.
1: He was um, United States Air Force Staff Sergeant. They're, where were they from? I'm sorry, you guys. I want to know because, oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. No, it's not from Texas.
0: <laughs> oh, darn it.
1: Well, Never mind. We want him to be from Texas. <laughs> I well, he's I mean, he's an but, honorary
0: Texan. If yeah. he stopped an attack, he can Especially, extend right? Extend the border there for, for him and loop him in. Um, oh, he's in fact from California. Yes. Okay. Well, we like California. They know how to party.
1: They do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but the the point is, is it is the military, right? So when you're yes, in the environment where guns are, you know, something that you understand right and where people can have um you know respect and they're using it correctly then you're cool right you see the gun but if you um recognize when it's being used as a tool against people you also are able to uh, identify that and be less terrified and ready to act because it's part of your culture the way that you do things and i think that's kind of what we're talking about because i mean here you know we people i'm i'm willing to bet that there is a lot of people who, if we were to pull people on the street, they have shot a gun. Now, not necessarily at people, right? They, not necessarily hunting, but just shot a gun. And, um, and I'm, I'm willing to bet that the number in Texas, especially in the Texas panhandle is a lot higher than, you know, a lot of other places. And I think because of that, we do have a more, not necessarily laxed attitude about guns, but we have more of a, you know, we're not terrified, and I think that really plays a part into how we function with the idea of campus carry.
0: Certainly, and and in addition to that, you know, I think it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to put this in words. Like so many things are yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, I am always searching for words, and I use the word "um" and "uh," trying to f- fill in those gaps while I'm trying to figure it out. The, tr- the truth is that nobody really knows. You can be terrified and still know how to act. And that's, sure. I think that that's where training really comes in. Mm-hmm. And I have not been trained in the, the way that uh, some of the folks that probably listen to this podcast have. Right. I have not uh, had that extensive uh, training that. Uh, where you're actually under fire, the training of of reality mm-hmm. um with that prepares you for a whole thing, a list of issues in, in real life. And so many of our veterans uh serving overseas, when they hear things, they not only are able to recognize the type of gun that is being fired, but they're able to determine how far away it is and a variety of other things and what they need to do. That all plays into experience mm-hmm. around something. So maybe that happens in Texas. Maybe that happens in Afghanistan. Maybe that happens in any other variety of places all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in my mind, when I think of being terrified in a situation, I always think, well, you can be terrified and still be able to think. You know, can, are, are we paralyzed when in these situations and of course we're kind of talking out of our hat here a little bit mm-hmm. and uh and so anyway that being said um I kind of want to keep it um if we can keep it on the point of uh less hypothetical and much more how do we how do we deal with the fact that we're all constantly going into these different situations and are so open to going into them and crossing mm-hmm. over that border I'm thinking about what we would do in these situations is more than some other people would do right. and they're, they're comfortable with even you know but I just I mean I want to have thought about it
1: right and then, I mean it when it comes to something like that um your sympathetic nervous system kicks in and your that is the automatic system of fight or flight that we know of in a stressful situation your body reacts immediately automatically and um, some of the things that happen, like your uh, pupils dilate, don't dilate. They, was that dilate? Wait, no, that's constrict. They dilate, right? So they get let in more light so you can see more things. Okay, your body also lo- uh, releases glucose that's stored. That's sugar. It gives you energy to do something, right? Um, your heart starts beating faster. Your adrenal gland is going off. Okay, all of these things that are happening to your body uh, prepare you. You can either run. Or you're fighting. And that's really what it does. And it does happen automatically. Now, when we say things happen automatically, sometimes you don't get to think. Sometimes it is training that if you've trained over and over and in those stressful situations, you do have training and experience. It's not as stressful. So your sympathetic nervous system doesn't have as much control. Does that make sense? Um, It's like the training allows for you to, yes, your body's still reacting because it's not going to, Not react because that's just this natural way. But you're able to not necessarily just give into it because you've been here before. The stress is not as big, even though it is very big. And so, therefore, you're able to think. So, I think that what you're saying is like, you know, just coming up with a plan, coming up with what you could do in that situation is what you have to do because then you will be able to think because you already have a plan. And it's kind of like, it's automatic. If you think about it enough, it is also in that sympathetic where you will automatically know exactly what you're going to do. And I'll tell you, that's really what the campus cops would tell you they want you to do. That's why they want to do the training. And they want to do it more than once. And they want to keep doing it because that way, you, as you know, the person who's going to be in the classroom, will know what you're going to do. Um, because You know, even though they're here and it's not our campus isn't huge or anything, but it's still going to take time for them to get to you. So you have to have something. you got to be doing something. And even though, you know, there are some students who are older or the same age as I am, I do feel like they're my kids and I have to, like my job is not only, you know, to teach them, but it's also to keep them safe. Well, we're responsible for them. When
0: yeah. we say safe learning environment, we don't just mean it, you know, rhetorically, and we don't mean it, you know, in an abstract way and making people making sure people's feelings feel, you know, they're safe in their right. feelings and how they express things, but rather physically safe. That includes, you know, if somebody's sharing a sensitive topic like their position on... Um, on racism Mm -hmm. or their position or their experience with racism that they don't, that they don't feel physically threatened. Right. On the other hand, there's, there's this really delicate balance between what personal liberties allow, particularly at the legal, at the legal standard, um, not only within our community, but within our state and within the under federal law by the second amendment that, is a hard line. It's a mm-hmm. hard wall, right? It does not apply in those situations, meaning that someone with a concealed firearms permit, or and actually just a carry permit, but is concealing on campus, which is, I believe, the legal way to carry yes. on our campus. Uh, and, and that right there is is a, uh, a sticky wicket for us. Yeah, we. Uh, I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing that. I don't. I just don't think about that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think about it. It's not something that ever crosses my mind. And I'll be curious whenever we get back into classrooms whether or not it's something I'll start thinking about. But I don't think so.
1: Maybe I, I don't, don't think know. So Tim,
0: do you remember that? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. I just don't think that it's something. I I'm just too comfortable around firearms and seeing people with them.
1: Okay. So I'm going to give you this. I know that you were like, to stay away from scenarios, but let's say, because I was asked this question. Okay. Let's say that someone comes in with a, a, with a gun and they decide to take it out and put it on the table in the classroom. Right. What, how would you respond to that? Like, how do you, do you feel threatened now? Or is it something that you would notice or would you just kind of be like, Oh yep, there's a gun.
0: I love that question, Beth. Uh, it's once again, yeah, I try to stay away from some of this stuff unless it's like this is one of those issues where should we talk about this just in our office? should we yeah. talk about this you know privately or is this a public something that needs to well, I think that to some extent maybe uh, once again, we do not speak for our department right <laughs> or for the school but in that scenario, I actually don't feel threatened uh, um, I actually don't not by the gun, not by the gun. It's going to always be the behavior of the person with it. And I don't mean, look, I'm not saying that if somebody pulled out a bazooka, I wouldn't say something. (laughs) I would definitely say something. And of course they would be in violation of our campus carry policy if they did something like that. And so of course I would say something. Um, But would I feel physically threatened would I feel a need to everybody out of the classroom would I do that yes would I feel threatened by it it depends on the person that had done it and their behavior the way that they looked their their gait the look on their face or my prior experience with them the way that they were talking, mm-hmm. their behavior that day. What had happened I mean,
1: maybe even the day before. What it happened the
0: day before, mm-hmm. maybe. But it's always the intangible things that we don't know. We don't know what we don't know, who people are, where they come from, you know, like all those little things, what their life experiences have been that are always hiding underneath the ocean of our, of our personality and our, you know, our life being, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But we, yeah, I mean, okay, so same scenario, Beth, How about you?
1: Okay, so um, again, it would be the individual. It would be how the individual responded with doing that. Now, if it was like they put it on the gun and put the gun on the table and kind of had attitude, then I would be like, hmm, okay, something's going on here and no one's safe. And I would have everybody go and then I would probably stay and be like, hey, what's up? And um, again, that my husband would kill me for saying that. Like he would be like, you need to get out. But um, the thing is, again, I, I have this, and it's it's probably, it's <laughs> I don't know that it's good, but I have a like this abstract sense that people do respect people and that they're not there to really hurt people all the time. So if I can get everybody else out, I feel like that I could address this person and be like, hey, do you need something? Because this is not a normal behavior, and I get has to do with the psychologist in me as well. But mm-hmm. I'm. I would not feel like they're personally threatening me, but I also would not feel safe for my students. Mm -hmm. So I would. I'd probably dismiss the class and then address the student and be like, hey, you know, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Now, if they were mad and in a bad mood, and you could, I mean, because you can see it in their faces, and even if they're, whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever's going on with that individual, if they looked aggressive, if they looked like something was going on, then I would probably... Leave, too. I would be like, you know, I'll give you a minute and leave and probably call the cop, campus cops and get them in there just because there's something going on outside of what I can deal with. But, I mean, if the person just put it up there because, I don't know, they were sitting weird. You know, yeah. sometimes if you have campus care or sure. concealed, it's sitting weird, so they put it up there. For, I might be like... <gasps> And if, but if the person's like talking and doing, I'd be like, I'd probably walk over and say, Hey, you need to, that yeah. needs to be concealed, you know? And they'd be like, Oh my gosh. And that's what I would expect
0: backpack or something. Whatever right.
1: But say. I mean, if I would, it would be all about the body language and the, you know, facial expression, everything about the individual at that moment that would have me respond differently. But I'm the fact it's not, it's not the gun. That's the problem. It's the, it, it would be the individual.
0: Right. That's the major policy divide. Right yeah. There. Is it's, this is the question? I mean, or it seems like it is anyway. I mean, unless there's something else going on that I'm not aware of. Mm-hmm. Seems like there's a, uh, a heavy, heavy reliance on the on the susceptibility of, of people that uh, that don't carry firearms being threatened by people that choose to carry firearms legally and constitutionally. Um, that's not a by the way not a plug for constitutional carry it's just a different I mean right but but by the Constitution by the standards of the Second Amendment itself uh, being uh, threatened by a uh, a potential or something that's that's physical on their on their person rather than by the behavior um, and what are and also not, maybe knowing the statistical probabilities of certain things as well
1: i just um you know we were we actually had this other conversation about you know like mass shootings and somebody had brought up that there's more mass shootings by white people than any other group and it we it brought up the idea that you know well um Okay. So these white people who are doing these mass shootings, are they following the laws in the first place? And the answer is probably going to be no on most of them. I'm granted there may be some who have lived their life perfectly. Everything's fantastic. And then they just click. Okay. But if we look at the number of the different races, like the actual number and then look at the percentages, I bet the percentages are a lot closer than. What we would say, and but I don't know. I mean, if somebody knows it, you know, let us know. But that's the idea. Is like I don't know that. I think the biggest percentage that we're going to see for school shootings, mass shootings, are going to be people who are not following the law in the first place.
0: Hmm. Adam Lanza per, per uh, perspective here. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Lanza, the Sandy Hook killer, the murderer. Oh, yes, went into that uh, elementary school and killed all those little kids.
1: That is ugh.
0: I this this makes my heart sink. Just the idea of it just makes my heart sink. Um, it's it's unbelievable crime. Adam Lanza had killed his mom and taken her firearm, and then went out and perpetrated that crime. Is that the way it is with with all of these uh, crimes? No. It's not. Uh, there, are, there are cases in which someone went and legally purchased one. But the first thing that they went out and did was, oh, wait a minute, hold on. Um, there have been cases where, where that's happened. And, and, you know, this goes back to the 90s, um, not just uh, Columbine, but before that even, we had all these post postal shootings, post office shootings. Yeah, Um, that were going on. Do you remember that in the early 90s? Yes. (laughs) It began in the late 80s. It
1: was like everybody. What was the new term? We're going to go postal. That's right. That's right. Because that happened. Right. And of course, uh,
0: that gets (laughs) there's a joke on Seinfeld, which is not funny, maybe, but also is satire. You know, they said, why is that? And of course, Newman on Seinfeld is a is a is a postal carrier and says, uh, because the mail never stops, Jerry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps coming and coming. <laughs> okay. So I'm just, I'm going to, I've looked at percentages and it, it doesn't break it down in percentages, just so you know. But I'm going to first let you know the distribution of population in the United States for races. And um, non Hispanic white is at 61, about 61.3%. Um, that's Hispanic, wait, Hispanic white? That's white. white. Non Hispanic.
0: The percentage, though, white. is for white. For white but population in the
1: United States. No, this is just the population. Oh, just the population yes. itself so in the United States. The right. highest population in the United States is white, 60, okay. 62%, um, well, 61 Okay. And then next um, is Hispanic, and it's 17, almost 18%. Okay. Okay. So Not then, in Texas. In Texas, no, it is, not.
0: I think it, this year, this upcoming year, it's set to eclipse, I believe, um, and become the majority.
1: Yeah, so, but then it has it broken down in the number of incidents by races, and there's um, 66 by white, okay, but I don't know, you know, considering the percentage of how many white people there are, the race of white, you know, what percentage is that compared to um, where we see for um, black, it's 21 incidences, Latino is 10, Asian is 8 five is other i don't know what other is do we and- describe
0: mass shootings in this situation or mass, you know mass death like in this situation as people like moving into a house and and shooting a part shooting up a party is that something that is included here or is that is it have to be something um do we only break it up down into school shootings
1: no this is mass shooting of anything not just school
0: by the way science social science itself is meant – I think one of the things that we do is we have to look at statistics, but we have to look at them within perspective um, if we're going to get a correct a correct uh, evaluation of the material. Um, I mean, if I have a lot of students failing my class, I don't just look at the statistics of the number failing. I look at the context right that's surrounding it. Why yes. are they failing? How is this compared to other classes? What am I doing differently in other classes? What are... So, I mean, what, are the, what, are, what is the state of Illinois doing? Mm-hmm. They've cracked down on guns, right? I mean, where is the largest concentration of uh, death by firearm in a city? Chicago. Yeah. And you know what? I feel for Chicago. I do. I do, deeply. I, I want them to get that under control. And what, what is it that they haven't tried?
1: Yeah. What is it that's different with other places? Because we have, I mean, there's in Texas where, you know, everything's growing. Austin is huge. Houston is huge. Do we have shootings there? Absolutely. I mean, that's, that would be ridiculous not to say that we do, but is it at the extent that we're seeing it in other places, especially with loss of gun control? Hmm. Like I, (laughs) this is going to be very Texas of me, but um, what is the one thing that's going to make it less likely that you're going to pull out a gun and start shooting? Someone's going to shoot you if you do. Right? I mean, you don't. The point of you getting a gun is not to be killed. You're going to kill somebody. And, but if you know that the average Joe who's standing here, when you pull your gun, he might have one, Uh, like, does that detour? Would that? Would that detour? I don't know because it's not, that's not how it is. So I don't, I mean, maybe that's why. I don't, I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't. You don't see the same kind of actions happening. Now, at schools, it's not even fair. I mean, especially the young kids because they're not carrying. No. Now, if we soft had targets, teachers, right? right? If we had teachers, right, isn't that like the movement? It's like let your teacher carry because then it's just one of those you don't know now. Like if I go to the school where I'm supposed to have soft targets, am I, I going to get shot? Before the cops get there? You know, because if I walk in, does the principal have a gun? Yeah. If I have a gun, does that principal have a gun? As soon as they see my gun, they shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, would that, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, but at that point, when someone decides to go into a school and shoot, are they mentally sound? Are they thinking even at that point? You know what I mean? Are they looking at the consequences? Right. And
0: this is a, this is kind of a shameless plug, uh, by the way, for, um, a, a future episode, I think that we want to do, um, uh, breaking down the mindsets and the way that people mm. think about um, with the who are conservative and people that who who tend to be more liberal um, in their approaches the way they think, um, right. those different uh, ideological frameworks. And I think I mean, I think that that's very relevant to our situation here and sure. what you're mentioning because uh, you're talking about compellents. you know mm. what what is it that compels? Another person or another actor to do something differently, is it deterrence or is it something else? Well, let's look at the behavior of the individuals. Are they attacking hard targets? Are they attacking soft targets? Right. They tend to attack soft targets. Mm -hmm. So you harden those targets up. You harden those facilities up. And I don't, I mean, I, I recognize that this is not something that a lot of people all over the country may agree with, but when you talk to maybe security experts, they would say that makes more sense. guns, more guards, more police.
1: And, you know, and I was, it's so funny because during all, well, I don't know if it's funny, but during the whole thing, when we had, you know, a string of um, the school shootings. And I'm, you know, I'm constantly looking at all sorts of statistics. And we had a lot of unemployed vets. I was like, oh my gosh, why would we not have veterans be some sort of not necessarily guards, but some sort of, you know, policing at the schools that we're all worried about. And then all of a sudden we're like killing two birds with one stone, right? <laughs> we are giving jobs and we are protecting. But again, I don't I'm I don't want also our schools to be there, and there's
0: legislators that really want to use that as a uh, As a job uh, creation program, yeah, uh, I mean it's real, and they want they're looking for funding, uh, not just in the state of Texas, but all over the country in different it, state legislatures.
1: Kind of makes sense, right? Because mm-hmm. we, um, you know, I know that they have um, increased the police present on the campuses for middle school and high school, but we don't have enough cops, right? And um, because of that, why this would be a perfect job. But at the same time, like I was saying, I don't want my kid to go to school and feel like they are in some sort of like prison or heavily guarded. You know, I want them to also feel safe, both physically and mentally safe. And you know, having fences and gates and that's not—you don't feel safe.
0: Okay, another another argument that uh, someone from the other side of that aisle would would. Would certainly bring up in this case is what do you do whenever you have a victim of gun violence that is truly terrified every time they, they see a gun they see the they've been they've seen the impact of what it does they've seen the aftermath they've seen the the blood they've seen the gunpowder they've smelled it all those different things that come into the reality of of, some, of a crime like that uh, I mean what do you say to somebody like you know like that when we're hardening targets up you know, like that's the that's a natural counter argument is well, you've got victims sure. that are in that same school that are in that same environment, and it could it could certainly uh, make them more emotional or re uh, I don't know the words here. um it's instigate, PTSD. Trigger right? trauma, right? right? Trigger trauma responses. Is that I don't sure? Know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And um, yes, <laughs> and it's going to. I mean, it. I wouldn't be surprised. But again, it is. This is a situational thing and you know everybody's going to react different and i can't you know and when we're looking and you know this like with policy with law um you know we're looking for the greater good and i you know not that i don't want everybody to feel safe but at the same time what is the thing that's going to make more people feel safe you know in that situation and yes i definitely do take into account the people who have suffered and are victims because it's you know that's kind of what that's kind of what my job is as a psychologist. But at the same time, you know, it's like, well, that's something that needs to be addressed, anyways. Um, and you know, and now we want we don't want everybody else to be a victim either. Certainly. And so I don't. I mean, the individual, answer, or collective. Yes,
0: always goes back to individual, collective. And in that in that framework, you know, you're going to see people on the right say collective, right? right? But they're also going to say individual mm-hmm. because I mean. At the, <laughs> On the left, they would say that, uh, well, that individual deserves special status, deserves to be protected. Totally understandable, right? They do. Mm-hmm. But they also are choosing to go to a public place in a public space where they're. Now, how do you make that place safe emotionally? It's going to be different from the way you make it safe physically. Right. That's to- two totally different things. Mm-hmm. Um, more psychologists. I mean, at some point, you break it down. We talked to for Price. Yeah. Uh, on this show, Congressman Price, very, very, very well respected
1: mm-hmm. uh, representative
0: in our Texas legislature. Uh, who is constantly um, uh, such a such a uh, advocate for health, uh, mental health and the the different types of ways that we can serve that community of individuals that need that in as individuals and as a community in those spaces and make them feel safer and make them feel uh, not only welcome, but like they've got a place to go if they need. But in that situation, we also are looking out for the, the, for the larger group of people as right. well, not to break down to utilitarianism. That's not my point. Um, but certainly to, to just look at the purpose behind the Second Amendment itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the Second Amendment would suggest a well-regulated militia Sorry, I'm just going to have to kind of pull this out of my hat. But well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So there's a lot there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, they, if they hadn't put all those commas in there, you know, we may not be in some of the, the questioning that we are now, but they did.
1: Right, and, and I think it actually, that was brilliant, on their part because they have to know that things are going to change and things are different. And so, you know, by doing that, they allow for some flexibility and, you know, understanding that, you know what this, it's going to change, but not that much. You know? Right. I mean, <laughs> the what is basic a basic point right? in, that,
0: in that amendment, the language, what is a free state? Well, a free state is at that time, 1787 coming out of the articles of confederation, trying to find support and consensus That's, that's the states, the individual state legislatures saying that they want to have the right to defend themselves if necessary against a larger, more powerful central government. Now that gets misconstrued today as being something like the Timothy McVeigh way of thinking, which is that the federal government's out to get people and therefore people need to be armed, ready to defend themselves. Well, I mean, to some extent that might be correct. Not necessarily in the sense that it's like an impending threat, but maybe the purpose of the amendment itself was <laughs> to 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 not only um, protect the state itself, but also the individual Absolutely. within that state. And this was the big the big case, DC v. Heller, where there was a gun ban in the District of Columbia, and uh, Heller was a federal agent that uh, he worked in the he worked at uh, in, in DC and was able to carry a firearm in his job. But was not allowed to, to defend his home with the same firearm, and he wanted that right. Mm-hmm. Challenged it. There were actually a group of people that challenged it. His was the only one that held up um, in the District of Columbia as being something that was viable. Um, it was, uh, I believe it, I believe it was an NRA-backed case. But there was another case, and they, by the way, that that opinion. There were two dissents in that. Uh, I believe it was Stevens and Breyer on the Supreme Court in that case, and then. Uh, Justice Scalia wrote the opinion, the majority opinion on the. If you ever want to read uh, some of the history of the Second Amendment, read Scalia's opinion on that case. Um, it's a long, it's a long opinion, but it's very, very good. And uh, also the way that they break down, read the dissents. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to see the 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 arguments and counterarguments of this, and then apply it to the, to what what Beth and I are talking about today, read those dissents. This was taken as something that only applied to District of Columbia at that particular time because District of Columbia is mm-hmm. not a state, which is, I, I understand, as a movement, but, yeah. you know, like, it's just not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was never intended to be. Whether or not we choose to do it now, that'll be up to us in the future. Uh, we'll see where that goes. But the question then became, well, what about states themselves? Can states legislate? by your By your logic, Aaron... And yeah. by the logic that you're stating or you're you know relating that that Supreme Court justices have 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 said mm-hmm. based on the Second Amendment, if that's true, then the state legislature should be able to have like almost unlimited authority about what their people do in those types of situations. Well, we get you know the McDonald case in Chicago where we understand that there are certain things that we can and can't do. and I would just I would bring us back home and say, look at abortion. I know we are, we're getting ready to be done, but looking at abortion itself, so that's another controversial case, Absolutely. maybe for a different day, but it relates to this in the sense that you know uh, we, we tend to look at things and we see what we want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and the complexity of this landscape is such that what we're really looking at is power and layers of power. And Absolutely. so federalism, where the federal government shares powers with the states... At what point do they have the right to say something and not say something or enforce something and not enforce something? Is it about um, integrating schools? Well, I mean, there are people that would say, argue, the states shouldn't have had the authority to discriminate at the level they did. And therefore, the federal government was justified in going in and enforcing the Civil Rights Act of 1964, enforcing Mm -hmm. uh, integration of schools, enforcing all those different – the different titles – uh, that that created, and also you know the Supreme Court decisions, Brown v. Board of Education, things of that nature. Um, by the same token, things like the Griswold v. Connecticut case, Roe v. Wade, where states were discriminating against uh, specific groups of individuals—married couples in Connecticut, um, individuals that wanted to have abortions in Texas—you uh, know that is a leftist argument that the state shouldn't be in control. So it's interesting. I mean, it depends on if you break down whether you're, if you're, if you're somebody that believes that women should have the freedom to choose, you're going to believe that, I mean, that the federal government should be saying this, but only because the federal government wants to do something or they believe the Supreme Court has the power to enforce that. This is a whole other issue in government, which is giving the power to the court. (laughs) Beth keeps looking at like, this is really not okay. Okay. I'll
1: stop, I'll <laughs> no, stop, different I mean, day. But this is all really, I mean, it does play into it because we're looking at the, you know, what does the federal government have control over when it comes to guns? What does the state, you know, what is the individual right? And I think, you know, it comes down to, you know, the person. And it really does, it depends on your view. And I think that, you know, what I've come to realize because of our interaction with that, our colleague in Illinois um, I, you know, I feel I am don't feel threatened by guns. What the threat that I have is from people, hmm. and I think that really has to do with what how I feel about campus carry. I'm not going to change the way I am because people can have guns. Now I might change the what I talk about or how I respond to something depending on the individual.
0: Hmm. Well, thank y'all so much for joining us uh, today. We really appreciate it. We'll be back um, next week with. Officer Jackson, yes. Officer Maurice Jackson uh, from the Emerald College Police. And we're so excited to, to be able to visit with him. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. He's, yeah. he's a really fascinating man. So uh, yeah, he's a cool dude. Yeah, Yes. <laughs> <Cool>. uh, <laughs> anyway, right. thank you so much for your time. Bye. Well, bye.